Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. First nine verses of Galatians 5. Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are. Justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole Lump. Thank you. You may be seated. And there's some statements made in these verses we'll probably visit with an entire message, the subject of leaven and a little leaven, leaven in the whole lump. That phrase is used twice in the New Testament, uh, specifically in the New Testament epistles by the Apostle Paul. It's used in 1 Corinthians 5 of immorality in the church at Corinth. And in there it said a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And then here in Galatians chapter 5, it said again, not dealing with um, leaven in the sense of sinful conduct, but sinful doctrine. Uh, they are inseparable, by the way. Sinful doctrine always results in sinful conduct. But it's interesting that a church should be on guard against leaven on a twofold front. Number one, sinful conduct, which will spread. How many of us understand that if that is not dealt with in a home or a church, that sinful conduct, such as the immorality found in 1 Corinthians 5, becomes characteristic of an entire church body? It spreads. Same thing with false doctrine. If false doctrine is not dealt with, and of course it first must be dealt with from the pulpit, uh, from, the, from those who teach, but it also must be dealt with when we encounter it. Which folks come in, you know, if we're going to be a church, you want people to come. You want people to come hear the gospel. Well, undoubtedly some come and they have false doctrine. And one of the best things you can do is with, with grace, but with absolute conviction when someone says, hey, I believe this, to just say, well, that can't be so because the Bible says this, amen, and build a line, hold a line on faithful doctrine. Well, Galatians was dealing with false doctrine, teachers creeping in, teaching them, as we have been seeing, to go back to the keeping of the code of the law, specifically the letter of the law for the obtaining of righteousness. That is what legalism is. If you want a, a definition biblically, you must keep the letter of the law to obtain righteousness. Legalism is not having restrictions in your life so that you can stay in the will of God. There are restrictions I have in my life, and they are there to keep me out of sin, not because I'm afraid I'll lose my salvation, but because I know I can lose my testimony. In fact, Paul is going to deal with some different laws that the Galatians, you want law, here's some laws you need to work by. He's first going to deal with the law of liberty. So James calls it. How I many you know that liberty is a law? I believe this, many today confuse liberty with, with uh, being unruly. <laughs> That's a Bible term, by the way, unruly. You know what unruly means? 
I don't have rules. And what Galatians is not saying, you don't have any rule in your life. Paul said, when he sought to win those without law, he said, yet not without law to Christ. What he's dealing with is he said, for those who are without law, I, I approach them as without law, but not without law to Christ. Meaning, I don't drop my guard and say, I'm still not loyal to Jesus Christ and obey him. So we understand the context of this. Many today think, well, liberty is licensed to be unruly. That's certainly not what it means, and I hope this message will lay that down clearly tonight. What we are liberated from, especially in the context of Galatians 5, is being bound to the code of Mosaic law. We're no longer married to the law. Christ fulfilled that and set us free. I was reading this week in 2 Corinthians 3 in my regular Bible reading, and I'm going to go ahead and read this verse because it's good for the context of what we're looking at tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. You know what Paul's talking about? The Spirit of what? The Spirit of the law. You realize the Spirit of the law still speaks to us today. And he said, we're not bound to the letter of the law. We have the spirit of the law. The letter of the, of the law will give you death. You cannot live up to the law. But the spirit that's behind that law, you know what the spirit of the law is? Love God, love people. Isn't that the spirit of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so oh, as Paul gets into Galatians chapter 5, he said, look, you've been liberated from being entangled with the code of Mosaic law you do not, that is not the way we obtain righteousness. And so he's going to deal with this matter of liberty. He'll mention it twice in chapter 5. That's why I tonight want to take an entire message to deal with it. And I believe from Galatians 5, we can get a good foundation for what Christian liberty is. By the way, ultimate liberty, which I'm not addressing tonight, is addressed in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to call it ultimate liberty. That's not what it's called in the Bible. But the Bible talks about the glorious liberty of the children of God. When we get the glorious liberty, you know, it's talking about Romans chapter 8. When we get a new body and we are 100% entirely liberated for, from sin and all its influence once and for all. Every time liberty is talked about in Scripture in context of the New Testament, even the ultimate liberty, it has to do with being liberated from sin not liberated to sin. Always, check me on that. It is always in the context of being free from the yoke of sin. And you know what? We said it last week. You know what the law does? It binds you to sin and binds your sin to you. That's what the Mosaic law does. It proves you and I to be sinners. All it can do is bind your sin to you, but Christ came and loosed you from the sin that the law bound you to and bound to you. Today in Christ, we are set free from our sin. So the moment you hear someone discussing Christian liberty in the context of I have liberty to do something that the word of God declares is unpleasing or displeasing to the Lord. Friend, that's what we were before we got saved. That's never what liberty is about. You realize because I have liberty tonight, there are things that I may be free to do, but I'm free not to do them if I know it will hinder the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you look in the Bible, and we don't have, this will not be an exhaustive message tonight, but I hope it will help, help us. So I'm going to give you four things uh, tonight about liberty, beginning with the definition of it, which we're already discussing. But in verse 1, I think we get some clues to what he's talking about when he says liberty. Liberty is a broad term that even today are the, those who are politically liberal use the term liberty. They would say you ought to be free to do whatever you want. 
Well, you realize if you're free to do whatever you want, you're going to take somebody else's freedom to do what they want. So, for instance, uh, let's say tonight I say, well, I want to obtain a brand new vehicle. Now, I don't have the money to do that, so I'm going to go and exercise my freedom to take that off of a car lot when they're not watching, I'm going to hotwire it, drive it away. I'm free. I should have that kind of liberty. If I want a new vehicle, I should go get one. Now, he wants to sell it and make money on it. Now, because I did what I want, he can't do what he wants. True liberty cannot just be the freedom to do whatever you want because then one man's liberty takes another. And this is an entire different message you can preach on, but liberty is a broad term. So I'll give you the broad definition from the dictionary. It means freedom from restraint in a general sense applicable to the body or to the will or to the mind. The body, for instance, is at liberty when not confined. The will or mind is at liberty when not checked or controlled. A man enjoys liberty when no physical force operates to restrain his actions or volitions. That's general definition of liberty. And he gives some number of different illustrations, what natural liberty is and political liberty and so on and so forth. But the definition of liberty is generally being free from external restraint, okay? Uh, and so that's a, a very broad and general definition. So that alone, a, a, defi a, a dictionary definition, I don't believe is going to do it for us tonight. So we want to look at what the Bible says. Many times your best definition is just going to be the context of Scripture because the general definition can apply in so many different ways, but it means generally to be free from restraint, especially forcible restraint upon your body or mind or so forth. But let's look at verse 1 of, of, of chapter 5 and see if we can get some definition from the context. It says, Stand fast therefore in, and I noticed the little word, the liberty. The liberty, meaning this is a distinctive liberty we're talking about. How many of us know this is a definite article, the? All right, so we're talking about not just liberty in general, but stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. This helps us understand we're not talking about political liberty here. We're not talking necessarily about physical liberty. Paul sat with chains on his hands and feet, yet was at liberty. Do you realize when Paul was chained in the Philippian jail, he was doing exactly what he wanted to do? No, he wasn't. He, no, he was. He said, for to me to live is Christ. And it was his loyalty and obedience to Christ that put him there. And so as in bonds, he was free. You and I have, so what we're dealing with here tonight is a spiritual freedom. We're not necessarily talking about physical freedom. We're not necessarily, or liberty. We're not necessarily talking about political liberty. Paul lived in the era of time there was not political liberty. He could not go and preach the gospel in the temple at Jerusalem without there being some consequences in his life. We all agree? One of my concerns today is many a professing Christian is more concerned about political liberty, and we should be, and we should pray for that, but more concerned about political liberty than using the spiritual liberty we have. I heard many times through COVID, well, if something doesn't happen, we won't be able to, and then fill in obey God in this area of that. No, I think, no, we can. We just have to realize there's a consequence attached. We are always free to do right if we're saved. It's true. The worst that can happen is they can kill us and send us on to heaven. But we're still free to do what God wants us to do. And so really, this is not a liberty. So let's note this. In defining this, this is not a liberty that is granted to us by the state. This is not a liberty that is granted to us by ourselves. The Bible says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ 
hath made me free, made us free. This is a freedom that is peculiar. This is a liberty that is peculiar. It is a spiritual liberty that is the gift from, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the definition of liberty, we see its definition in its peculiarity. It is the liberty. This is a specific and a distinctive liberty that deals with the liberation from sin. Okay? So if we're dealing with the, Christ, the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, do we have any scripture that would give a little more specific definition to that kind of liberty? A lot of Bible students in here tonight. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Free from what? Well, let's look at John chapter 8. We know the answer to this. But John chapter 8, the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, Christ came to liberate us from sin. He came to liberate us from sin. And so then, any type of liberty that is being preached or taught or, or promoted that says you have liberty to sin is not the liberty that the Bible is talking about here. Because he didn't come to liberate us to sin, but from sin. The context of John chapter 8 he says in verse 33, and there's a, a back and forth between the Lord Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Verse 33, they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. Hey, how sayest thou ye should be made free? Because he had said in verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus is going to define. We're not, you remember what they thought? They thought he was talking about political liberty, didn't he? Yeah, well, we're, we said this last time. I don't know what they were thinking right then. They were in bondage to Rome. They had been in bondage to Babylon, the northern kingdom in bondage to Assyria. So number one, they weren't even, it's no wonder Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Uh, they needed the truth. They were having a hard time with it. Verse 33, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of Sin. So the context here is I'm not talking about bondage to a nation. I'm not talking about bondage to a man. I'm talking about being in bondage to sin. How many of us know that the conscience gives you grief when you sin because before you did it, you knew you shouldn't, but you did it anyway? Isn't that the, isn't that the whole problem with sin? Then why is it if it's what Paul talks about, the law of sin and death in Romans chapter 7, he said, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Then he goes on to talk about the things that I would, I do not, the things that I would not, that I do. He's talking about bondage to sin, the natural propensity to sin that's in us. That's exactly the same thing Jesus is talking about. Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Verse 35, and the servant abideth not in the house forever. Means sin will eventually do you in and be done with you. But the son abideth ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So when Paul says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, he is talking about a peculiar kind of liberty, and that is liberation from the bondage of sin. You know what the law will do? It will continually remind you, the letter of the law, you are a sinner and you cannot redeem yourself. You know what Christ did? It is finished. The law has been satisfied in his death, in my place, in his perfect sinless righteousness. The law has been satisfied. He is my substitute. Now I am free to do right. If you take time, read all of Romans chapter 6. I encourage you, by the way, uh, every, every member of this church, you should get extremely familiar with Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Those three chapters are so fundamental to understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, His will for your life, and your need to depend 
on the Holy Spirit of God to carry out the life he's called us to. Those three chapters are so important to every Christian's life. I, we need to know the entire book, but those three chapters can combine together are so important in understanding this issue and what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to serve him and how we go about doing that. So this definition of liberty, it's the, it's the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. That's its peculiarity. The provision, it's a gift from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So seeing that it is a gift from God, it is liberation from sin to do right. Again, that's Romans chapter 6. Let me read a couple of verses in Romans 6 just to continue to give us the context of this. Romans chapter 6. Um, the Bible says, I want to see where I want to, where I want to pick up at. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Do you realize it's one of the two? We're either serving sin or serving righteousness. And the Romans 6 is dealing with our new position in the Lord Jesus Christ that through his death and burial and resurrection and our identification with him, we are now dead to sin. We don't have to obey sin. We've been raised to walk in newness of life. And the context of freedom here is you were servants of sin, but now that Christ is your Savior, you have been saved to serve righteousness. And so that's, again, the context of uh, the, the provision of liberty and the purpose of liberty all right, so the peculiarity, it's the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. The provision, it's a gift from the Lord. It's from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the purpose is to serve God and fulfill righteousness. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5 again. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. The Bible says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? So notice this, the per, what happened when we got saved is we were liberated to obey the truth. Paul said, you were obeying the truth, you did run well. You know what this, this, what this tells me is the context of what Paul is dealing with here on the matter of even a child of God getting hung back up and, in, and, and entangled in the, the letter of the law, it hinders the way we run. You know what? You can only run if you are free. And he said, you were freely serving Jesus Christ until you got this doctrine introduced to you. The whole context here is the purpose of your liberty is that you may run the course that the Lord's laid out for you. He saved you from sin. He got you out of sin's prison. He called you into his service. Now he's laid out a course of righteousness for you between now and heaven. And you were running that race. The purpose of liberty is to fulfill the will of God in your life. You are free to serve him now. He says, I don't want to serve him. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with a person that says they're saved but doesn't want to serve God? May I say, there's something wrong. Something is out of kilter. Something's not well with you. If you know that Christ has saved you, you know he died in your place. He is the only one that's ever treated you perfectly right. To not want to serve him? 
then somebody has leavened you. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're not saved, but something's wrong. And so here, these folks have been running well. That helps us understand the purpose of liberty. They had been freed to run the race. Remember, uh, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin which does easily beset us and run with, with patience the race that is set before us. The Galatians had been doing that. They had been giving themselves on a, by the way, he didn't say you did walk well. He said you did run well. They were taking numerous successive steps of obedience to Jesus Christ. And then they turned off the course he laid out for them and started going back to fastidiously filling the letter of the law. But who did hinder you? You were on course. So liberty is defined by its peculiarity. This is not just some broad liberty. I'm free. I've heard people say, well, I figure I'm free to do what I want unless God tells me not to. Once you get saved, look, that's the mentality of an unsaved person. Is that not? That's the mentality of I will fulfill my will unless God stops me. That's just wicked. I mean, really it is. It's wicked. That's, that's natural. That's kind of like a child saying, well, dad didn't say we couldn't, so we're going to. Right? Uh, no one said I couldn't take that car. I, you know, so, hey, sure enough. No, no, that's, that's, a, that's a backwards mentality. That's a lost mentality. And so they know we're free to serve the Lord. So it's peculiarity, the provision. It's a gift from God for the purpose of serving the Lord, serving people by fulfilling the Lord's will in our life. Let me give you a couple of other verses here that define the purpose of our liberty, the purpose of our liberty. Galatians 5, under, under the definition, it is defined by its purpose. Galatians 5, 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love. Serve one another. It's here where Paul will begin to transition and start talking about the law of love. Liberty and love are inseparable. I'm, I, if I love, I'm going to use my liberty, my freedom, to obey God and serve you. So its purpose is obedience to God and service to one another. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. I'm just going to read this briefly. We'll come back to some of these texts again. He says, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. You know one of the reasons I want to read all of these verses in succession? Romans 6 says you've been free so you can serve God. Galatians 5 says you've been freed so you can serve God. 1 Peter chapter 2 says you have been set free so you can serve God. You realize when we were in sin, we couldn't serve God. We only could serve sin. We had to do what sin told us. Liberty for the Christian is about serving God. God, it's being able to, you know what? If you're saved tonight, you can pray and not faint. If you're saved tonight, you can rejoice evermore. If you're saved tonight, you have the liberty to give thanks to God in everything. If you're saved tonight, you have the liberty to forgive someone who's wronged you. If you're saved tonight, you have the liberty to live a life free of defilement and uncleanness. Why? Because you've been set free to serve God. That's the purpose of liberty. By the way, I didn't read one verse. I didn't read two verses. I didn't read three. We read at least four verses that said the purpose of liberty is that we have been freed from sin so that we can serve God. It is about the ability. I am now unrestricted in my obedience to God. Prior to salvation, there are people that try to serve God and sin keeps getting a hold of them. And by the way, the battle over this is in your mind. When you're ready to go serve God, Satan's going to come along and say, you can't. And you've got to claim the promises of God and say, I have liberty. 
I have been unshackled from Satan's hold on my life. Isn't that what Romans 6 is all about? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, alive unto God? Meaning this is a literal thing that's taken place when God saved you, but you and I have to lay hold of it and, and, and act upon it by faith. And so uh, what had happened to the Galatians is they had a cheap substitute for Christian liberty and the ability to actually fulfill God's will in their life to replace it with something that looked like fulfilling God's will, puffed up their pride, made them feel better than other people, and had no purpose of God in their life whatsoever. Something that had already been fulfilled and was in the past. And yet they were drugged back into that and got their focus off of actually living a life of obedience to God. And so, number one, the definition of liberty is seen here, especially in verse one. Number two, there must be a defense of liberty. Liberty must be defended. We see in Galatians 5, Paul is operating in defense of liberty. Instead of the Galatians being free to operate under the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit of God in their lives, they've gone back to trying to carry out the letter of the law, which not even the Jews themselves were able to do. It's interesting, more than once, the letter of the law is called a yoke. It's called a yoke in Acts chapter 15, when the, the, the Judaizers were trying to bring the new believers, Gentile believers, under circumcision and under dietary law. And James stands and says, why are we putting a yoke on them that we ourselves couldn't bear? The yoke of the law is too heavy. Only Christ could bear it. Our yoke is not one of being yoked to the letter of the law, but Matthew eleven twenty eight. we are yoked to Christ himself. We're not yoked to a code. We're yoked to a person. And that person has life and strength and righteousness which he imparts to us because he's meek and lowly in heart. He's willing to bring us into his yoke and not destroy us in the process. Amen? He has a strength that we do not. And so there must be a defense of liberty. Here's a couple of things Paul gave them in here in chapter 5 in order to defend the liberty that we have in Christ, that we are no longer under the bondage of legal code, mosaic code, but we are free by faith in Christ to serve God. Number one, we must resist entanglement. You know, why did Paul use the word entangled here? He says in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And now he begins to talk about the defense of liberty. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There's another time in the New Testament that Paul warns somebody else about not being entangled. No man that warreth, 2 Timothy 2, 4, entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I'm not supposed to get so wrapped up in the affairs of this life that I can't immediately obey Christ's commands. Do you understand the context of liberty? Even for the soldier, the soldier in 2 Timothy 2, 4, your objective is obedience to your commander, so don't let anything entangle you or bind you up that would hinder you from immediately obeying the leadership of the Lord. Same thing here. You've let a doctrine... You've replaced a false doctrine with the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. You've been set free to serve God, and now you're getting caught up in a pride-based religion, and it's entangling to you. He said, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let me ask you this. If you decided today, because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm supposed to go back and keep the Mosaic law, when would you be satisfied that you're doing it? If you started just with circumcision... Now, it's, no, it's not wrong to circumcise your children, but in the context of here is we must for righteousness. If we're not really righteous if we don't. Okay, we start, well, we have all our male children circumcised when they're born. We've got to do it on the eighth day. What, let me ask you this. Let's say it's the eighth day, and the eighth day falls on the Lord's day. You've got to go have your baby circumcised. 
where are you going to be? If you think that is going to, what's making you righteous, you're going to be at the doctor's office having that child circumcised, you're going to be assembling yourself in the house of God. Let's just get practical. You're going to go get that baby taken care of because you think I'm not really righteous if I don't do that. Well, let me say this. Okay, now we have four boys. They've all been circumcised, so we're proving we're really righteous people. We're circumcising our children. Not only that, well, <laughs> we don't need to worry about the Lord's Day anyway. That's Sabbath, not Sunday. It's Saturday. So we're going to keep the Sabbath. Well, if you're really going to keep the Sabbath, you've got to keep the high Sabbaths as well as the weekly Sabbaths. And if you're going to do that, you've got to keep the feasts. And if you've got to keep the feasts, you've got to keep the dietary laws. Where does it end? And by the way, what happens when you break them? What happens when you, when you, in the weakness of your flesh, failed to keep the Sabbath, you got really hungry and you fixed yourself a meal when you weren't supposed to? Now what? You're going to offer an oxen or a sheep? or You see how you get entangled? Where does it stop? And all of a sudden, you're not even minding what the Spirit of God wants you to do about giving the gospel, about being in prayer. You are so focused on proving that you're righteous by keeping the law that you're no longer fulfilling the righteousness of the law. That's exactly what's going on here. They were entangled. They were, and by the way, this is a specific warning about this doctrine that was entangling them, but let's not be so narrow-minded to think that this doctrine about going back under the law is the only false doctrine Satan uses to entangle us. There are a lot of people right now getting all entangled with politics. They are so engrossed with, uh, look, we need to be thinking about end times, but for the Christian, you know what our thought about end times needs to be? It is the blessed hope Christ is coming again. We've been in end time since the day he ascended to heaven. We need to be looking for his return. There's so many right now that are so entangled with, man, we have to change the political atmosphere that when the Lord is prompting them to do what he left us here to do, they're not even hearing him. My point is this, to guard our liberty, our freedom to serve the Lord, we must resist the things that entangle us, the things that hinder, you know, is that not what Hebrews 12 is all about? That entanglements, you know what weight is? Have you ever tried to run with a bowling ball tied to your ankle? If you have anything in your life that is preventing you from fully, swiftly, and completely doing something you know to be the will of God, it's entangling. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The point would be this. To the Galatians, there was a doctrine that had crept in, and they were so wrapped up in that doctrine, they were hindered in their obedience to God. And Paul said, if you're going to defend liberty, you must resist entanglement. Must resist entanglement. Number two, we must reject error. We must reject error. Galatians 5, verse 8. Verse 7, he says, Ye did run well, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. He says, This persuasion you've come to about the law did not come from the Holy Spirit of God. In verse chapter 1, he said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into this gospel. Let me read it, Galatians chapter 1. I believe that's verse 6, but let me look here. He says, verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. He goes on to say, same context here. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Do you realize there are doctrines and things that people believe about 
how to serve the Lord that didn't actually come from the Lord? I, I've, I've noted before there are certain authors and the fruit of their ministry has been to divide churches and get people to quit church. You know, the church is the facilitator of service. You realize that's what church is primarily about, facilitating God's people to go serve Him. It's about equipping us and strengthening us and enabling us to go labor for the Lord until He comes. And so any doctrine that's going to cause you to lay aside the assembling of yourselves together, somebody is teaching you error. That's just all there is to it. I find these so-called religious spiritual gurus who are so helpful to God's people and they are telling you that being in church today, all churches are apostate. You need to quit church. You probably just heard from an apostate. And it wasn't at your local church. We watch out for those things. We, it is the duty of every Christian, every believer in this room now. You've got a Bible in your hand, the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. It is your duty to prove all things. And to hold fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. We are to reject error. We must reject error. Let me ask you something. Had the Galatians lost their salvation? Or had they quit running their race? They were losing their salvation. But they were no longer fulfilling God's will in their life. Let me ask you this. How did that happen? For them, was it a case of beer? No. For them, was it a... A lucrative job? No, it was a false doctrine. It was a teaching about salvation. Tell you what, we are, we are engulfed. I was talking to Brother Derek when he was here. He said, you know, we hear of hyper-Calvinism. He said, you ever heard anybody talk about hyper-Armenianism? I said, no. He said, but it exists, doesn't it? I said, you got that right. And any of it in any level is dangerous. We both discussed Armenianism and Calvinism. It's ironic. They both have the same fruit. They hinder people who were running well. You think you can lose your salvation because of your performance. You can be saved and be persuaded that you can lose your salvation. That's what's going on with the Galatians. If you don't go back and keep the letter of the law, you're not really saved. You know what you'll spend the rest of your life doing? Trying to prove to yourself you are saved. Instead of resting in the fact that you're righteous in Christ and you are free to serve him, you'll go, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I better do this. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I better try this. I don't know if I'm saved or not. I better do this. You'll be entangled and you'll stop running your race. So Paul said, don't do that. You must resist entanglement and you must reject error. That's the defense of liberty. And those are basic in general and there's more that could be said, but for the context, that's all we'll say for now. Number three, the dangers of liberty. Can liberty be dangerous? Well, it can. We see, we see much of that in our day. And it was already in the New Testament churches in Paul's day. There are numbers of warnings about how we use our liberty. Just because we're free from the letter of the law does not mean we're free from doing what is right. In fact, under grace, we are at a higher standard because we have a greater ability. Under law, there were things people could not do. Look, we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We have the one who saved us living in us. And here's the thing. I would encourage you, study out some of the principles Paul talked about in relation to liberty. He said, all things are lawful unto me, meaning... I'm not under legal code, but all things are not expedient. Meaning all things do not obtain the objective we're after. He said, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meaning I'm not going to let anybody run my life but Jesus Christ. I'm not going to let anything control my life other than Jesus Christ. He said, I'm going to stay free to serve him. But ask ourselves, you say, how do I establish rules of conduct? If I do that, am I still free to obey God? Or is that going to hinder my obedience to God? 
Because we've been called to liberty. What's the purpose of liberty? Serving God, serving righteousness. And so the dangers of liberty are this. Because I'm free from the code of the law, it does not mean I'm free to use my liberty to disobey God or damage other people. Let's look at a few verses. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, we already read. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty. So don't use your liberation from the law of Moses, your liberty, your freedom from that, yoke of bondage, only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. How many of you realize this? Genuine love, genuine love is always coupled with holiness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. And so many times the question is this, and I said this earlier, will I want to do something, am I free to do it? May I say that? That really is the, it's the, really the wrong question. Let me ask you something. If you're saved tonight, anything you do, is it going to forfeit your salvation? No. So when it comes to being saved, you're really free to do as you will. But that is not a license to do as my flesh will. Is that not what he's saying? Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Meaning don't ever use your liberation from the law of Moses as an opportunity to fulfill the lust of your flesh. The lust of the flesh always leads to sin. Meaning this really looks good to me. This really brings me pleasure. This really X, Y, or Z going to make me look good. Lust flesh, lust the eyes, pride of the life. Liberty is never a license to sin. And the Bible says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Yes, we're free. Yes, we have been liberated from the guilt of sin, from the condemnation of sin, from the, from the duty of the law, but that is not license to pursue my fleshly appetite. And by the way, and by, you want to, one of the greatest accusations against those who oppose eternal life they like to call it once saved, always saved, right? Well, it's true. Once saved, you are always saved. But those who preach against that, you know, one of the number of accusations is people that have abused their liberty. They say, well, because I can't lose my salvation, I don't even like hearing this. Well, I could go out and murder somebody. I'd still be saved. Well, if you're saved, why would you want to do that? Right? That's a, that's a stupid statement. I don't like that statement. <laughs> I don't like it. And here's why. It makes it sound like I can go, I can go fulfill my lust and, hey, I'm, I'm free to go sin. No, no, no. I am free to go do right. I am free to not kill that guy who would love to kill me. Right? Yeah. So the idea would be tonight, number one, the danger is we might use our liberty for fleshly indulgence. You know how we know that? Because Paul says that's not what it's for. And over and over, by the way, we're warned against that. You only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. This doctrine of I'm free from the code or the letter of the law doesn't mean I'm free necessarily from the Spirit. I am free to fulfill the Spirit of the law. So never is to be used as a cause for fleshly indulgence, letter B. It is never to be used as a cloak of maliciousness. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's never to be used as a cloak of maliciousness, meaning I really want to do bad. And this is almost restating what was just said in Galatians chapter 5. I, malicious means... Uh, it's very interesting to me. Mal, M-A-L in Spanish means bad, right? I, I love those root words. Malicious means bad. You just 
you want to be bad and you want to do bad things, hey, I'm free. I'm free. I'm not saved by works. And so, hey, I can do bad works, but I'm free. I can, you know, I can lie about that guy. I can gossip, but hey, I'm saved by grace. No, no, no. That's not what that's about. An occasion of the flesh, yes, but even further to do bad or evil things and then cloak it with, well, I'm just exercising my Christian liberty. Uh, we were discussing this afternoon a podcast where some men were defending their liberty and how it's right to drink alcohol. Well, I've never seen any good come out of that, and have you? The Bible says, man, that partake. How many of us agree that at least foolishness is sin? Well, if you know what alcohol does and you put it in your body, you're a fool. That's what God said. Wine's a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever deceived thereby is not wise. And so then, are we really at liberty to drink alcohol as a Christian? No, we're at liberty to abstain. You're not at liberty to be immoral. You're not at liberty to do things like that. No, 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 that's a cloak of maliciousness. 1 Peter 2, 16, he says in... Um, Here's the context of this, verse 13. Submit yourself to every ordinance, yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the... Servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Isn't it amazing? He says we're at liberty, and then he gives us a bunch of commandments. You know what many preach liberty today is? You don't have to obey. The Christian life is not about obedience because we're free. Look at what Peter just said. He said, look, you are free, you have liberty, but don't use your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but rather remember you're servants of God. So honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, Honor the king, subjects be, uh, servants be subject to your masters. But Peter was so confused about Christian liberty. He says we're free, and then he gives them a bunch of rules. That's because our liberty is we're free to do right. We're free to serve God. We're free to obey his rules in our life. And so then, the dangers of liberty, it can be a cause for fleshly indulgence, and we're not to use it as such. It can be a cloak of maliciousness, number three. It can be a counterfeit. There can be such a thing as counterfeit liberty, or counterfeit freedom, which we've been warning against all night already. Second Peter chapter 2, speaking of apostates, I think this is God's wisdom. He had this written 2,000 years ago, exactly what we would be dealing with then and now. Second Peter chapter 2, he's speaking of the apostate. He says, these are wells, verse 17, without water, clouds that are carried, about, carried with the tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error, while they promise them liberty. They themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. Many today who are saying, you know what? In those narrow-minded Baptist Bible-preaching churches, it's rule, rule, rule. Be in church, read your Bible. You know, for the person that's trying to obey God, that's a delight. Honestly, you take a child that wants to do a chore they're given, so they really want to do it right, okay? You say, oh, we're going to stack some firewood today. Okay, Dad, where do you want it stacked? How high do you want it stacked? 
when I start, that child really, they just want to serve. Every rule I give them gives them more clarity and more encouragement because I am helping them fulfill their objective. For the child of God tonight that says, every time I get a rule, it's so much bondage. It's because you don't want to serve God. For the child of God that wants to serve God, the rules are just light to know how to do it. Not my rules, not man-made rules, God's. Fear God, honor the king, love the brotherhood. You know what that does for me? I said, whoa, well, that gives me some clarity how I'm supposed to live my life. You know what? Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. That's not binding to me. That's liberating to me. Now I know what to do. Now I know my course. I know where I'm supposed to run. When I get up, I know some things I'm supposed to do and not supposed to do because his word gave me light and direction. That rule is, how many of us would agree, husbands loving your wives is a, is a rule for a Christian man? Is it not a rule of life? That's not bondage. Well, I'm a Christian. I guess I have to put her first. That's not bondage. That's liberty. Now I know what I can and should do. And we can go on and on, but the fact of the matter is, there are those that say, you don't want to be around that crowd that's constantly heaping a bunch of rules on you. You know what? We understand Christianity to be the freedom to be happy, the freedom to know your true self. Friend, that's nothing more than humanism repackaged as claiming to be Christianity. That's all it is. They promise liberty. Many of the men preaching that are subject to adultery and drunkenness and pride and cannot be loosed, so they've simply preached the bondage therein is liberty to you. I'm free to live an immoral, ungodly life, and you can come join me. That's exactly what Peter's warning of. There are those that are living shackled to their sin. They've never believed on Christ, so they've never been set free, and they're going to say, you're free to commit the sins I'm committing and call it liberty. Living in sin is never liberty. It's bondage. But living in righteousness and faith in Jesus Christ is freedom. It's amazing to me. David in Psalm 119 is talking about uh, the commandments of God, and he is at liberty because he knows and loves God's statutes. Isn't that amazing? Because he loved God's law, he's free. <laughs> and so it's, a, it's needful we would understand this kind of liberty. One of the dangers of liberty is getting a counterfeit liberty that promises you liberty by men who themselves are in bondage to sin. They're not living in the liberty of Christ serving God. Number four, the duty of liberty. So we've seen the definition the defense, the dangers, one of the most intriguing terms in the Bible is the law of liberty. <laughs> the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? I think James 4.17 sums it up pretty good. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not. To him it is sin, meaning you're free to do right but won't do it. If you and I, let me ask you this. How many people this week am I free to give the gospel to? Now, I'm getting convicted already. I'm preaching and I'm, I'm convicted. How many people does God say, I have to give the gospel to this week? And if you don't, you're not really a Christian. Let me flip the coin. How many people do I have to give the gospel to this week to stay saved? None. So am I judged by that law? No, I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm righteous. But how many am I free to go give the gospel to? He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How many creatures can I give the gospel to this week without getting in trouble with God? I have liberty. I'll be judged against what I was free to do versus what I did. Mm. How free am I to pray? Spend time with God in prayer. I'm as free. 
I have liberty to do as much right as I want to. How many times can I forgive before I get in trouble with God? Oh, 490, he said so already. No, no, that's, that was Peter's mind. <laughs> the Lord used that to help us. No, you just can keep on forgiving like me. Are you with me? That's the law of liberty. I'm saved. I'm free to serve God. Am I? I'm free to do that. I, I am, I'm, 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 I'm free. I'm liberated. Let, let me say this. Let's say I come to my wife at Christmas and I say, I bought you this $5 present because that's all I had. I was restricted. I wasn't free to buy you something more. I give her a $5 gift. Will she appreciate that? Especially if it's only $5 I had. But what if I have $5,000 and I still buy her a $5 gift? Is that going to be different? I got $5,000 of discretionary funds and I say, oh, here's you a $5 bundle of flowers for Christmas. Merry Christmas or happy birthday or happy Valentine's Day. And I say, I could have spent that rest on you, but instead I spent the 4995 on me. Is that going to be different? Now tonight, the law of liberty is, the, the duty of liberty is, I am free to serve God, then I am surely bound to serve God. Huh? And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 is all about. The, it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. Because he died for me, I'm free to live for him. And that constrains me to do it. Not because I'm forced to by an outward force, but by an inward comprehension that I would go to hell under the bondage of sin if he didn't set me free. One of the most phenomenal things I read in the Bible is when Jesus would perform a miracle, he would say, thy faith hath made thee whole, go thy way. I love it. He told the, the ten lepers, go to the priest, show yourself, you're, you're clean. And as they went, they were cleansed. And you know what? All ten of them were free to come back and give him thanks. Now, have we all judged the nine in our own hearts and minds? Didn't the Lord judge the nine? He said, where are the nine? Now, what was he judging them by? The law of Moses? You know what they were doing? They were fulfilling the law of Moses. They were going to the priest. He judged those nine by the law of liberty. They were free to come back and worship him and give him thanks, but they didn't. You know why? They were ungrateful. <laughs> they just trucked on. That judgment was by the law of liberty. Let's look at a couple verses. Number one, the duty of liberty is it calls us to self-examination. James chapter 1, which is what we're doing right now. The duty of the law of liberty is it calls us to self-examination. James chapter 1, verse 22. See, a lot of times Christians say... Um, do I have to? So, for instance, someone says, do you have to wear a suit and tie to preach? Well, of course not. But am I free to? I mean, do I have to wear a flannel shirt and skinny jeans? <laughs> I am free not to. I think it shows honor for the Word of God to do our best when handling the Word of God. So I'm free to do that. And I'm free to if the culture keeps changing. Do I have to use a King James Bible? Well, you don't have to. You're not saved by that, but I am free to because it's the preserved Word of God. And we could give other illustrations. When people say, do I have to, what they're saying is, I don't want to and I won't unless somebody makes me. Well, that's not liberty, right? 
you know what? I am free to say no to anything I want to that I think will restrict my obedience to God. I'm free to do that, and so are you. But that should be our mentality. I'll get to James 1 in a minute. The Ethiopian eunuch, good illustration of this. He said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, the only thing would be is if you're not sincerely believing in your heart. But if you are, you're free. You know what many people would say? There's water. Do I have to get baptized? That's, just, that's bondage thinking, isn't it? You know, do I, have to, do I have to listen to your kind of music? No, but you're free to listen to music that you know will help you obey God. Is that what you want to do? See, the law of liberty reveals our heart, doesn't it? I'm free to do what I know honors God, but am I using my liberty for my flesh or for him? I am free to have a, 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 an apparel that I know will not contradict my testimony. I'm, a, I'm free to have an appearance that doesn't send a mixed message. I am free to shore up my testimony and make sure I'm not hindering the gospel of Christ. Do I have to dress this way? Do I ha you are free to serve God and make sure what you're doing is in line with what he wants. And if it is, do I have to? See, I believe this. The true legalist of our day is chapter and verse, why I have to do that. Do I have to be here every time the doors are open? That's a legalist. You're looking for a code. You're looking for some kind of thou shalt be in church every time the doors are open. You are free to love God and his people as much as you want because that's the right thing to do. My question would be is if you're free to be here every time, why are you not? There's the law of liberty. You with me? I am free to be faithful to the house of God. And you say, am I required to? Yeah, if you love the Lord. <laughs> I'm not saying there aren't commandments that we must obey. I'm just saying the mentality that says, what do I have to do is operating from the standpoint of, I still want to do what I want to do instead of what he wants me to do. And we don't understand liberty. I am liberated so I can obey God. So I'm looking for what he wants. And we are then going to be judged. We must examine ourselves Am I performing according to the freedom I've been given? James chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I'll tell you what you're not free to do is to disregard the word of God and say, I'm obeying. Now, we're not free to do that. <laughs> Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There's the law of liberty. It is the law of liberty calls us into an examination of ourselves. We look into the law of liberty. I know what is right. I have been liberated from sin and its bondage in my life. I am free to serve God. Am I doing it? Am I obeying? And finally, James chapter 2. James chapter 2. The Bible does make it very clear uh, that we are to execute our service and obedience to God knowing that we'll be judged by this law of liberty. He says in, in, back in uh, verse 8, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12, so speak ye and so do ye. So about not showing respect to persons in James 2. 
as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Liberty. Again, the definition of biblical liberty as I am free to obey. What do servants do to their masters? They obey God. So if there's some area of my life that I'm not obeying God, as I understand Scripture at the judgment seat, I'm going to give an account for you were set free so you could obey God, but you didn't. And now you're accountable for that. Amen? I am free to serve God. And if I'm not and will not, I, and here, by the way, it's the lies of Satan that bind us up and say, well, I can't and won't serve God in that area, in that area, that area. No, no. If you're saved tonight, I'm saved tonight, we are free to live lives of submission and obedience to God. And the question, were you free to do that before you got saved? No way. I've watched children come under conviction over their sin, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to be good and show that I don't need saved. And we've watched numbers of our children go through this phase. Right? I know that you're telling me I need to be saved. I'll tell you what, I'll be, I'll be the best kid you've ever had. It rarely lasts more than 48 hours. Because swiftly they realize, nope, that doesn't work. I might as well just be the worst kid you ever had. <laughs> what I'm saying is, even as a child, it's very soon revealed, you're not, you're not free to do what's right until you get born again. So let me give the other side of that. Some of you may be here tonight, and you're born again, and you're still believing, now there's certain things I have to do. No, no. You are free to obey God, and will be judged against that law of liberty. The duty of liberty is examination of self. Am I living a life of obedience to God? Because that's what I was liberated to do. The Son, therefore, shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. Is that what I'm doing? And if so, I need to do as those that would be judged. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. You know what he's saying? You're free, do right. You're free, do right. Many times God has shown us what would be the right thing to do. We know what is the right thing to do. We have the mind of the Spirit of God, but somewhere we're not using the freedom we have out of fear of man, fear of retribution, whatever it may be, and we're not acting in accordance with the freedom we've been given to be obedient servants of God. And so tonight, may God help us to understand our liberty. It is liberty that Christ has given us, the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And he's talking about being free from sin and its stranglehold on our lives. And so then tonight, may we use our liberty for what it was intended, and that is to be obedient servants to God. Let's stand.